Hey y'all, welcome back to the Brianna Approved Podcast. We are on episode 24 and today we will be talking about the neuroscience behind heartbreak. Why love is really like a drug. What happens to the brain when you are falling in love? This is why we actually call it chemistry, right? Because it's chemicals going on. Um, why you shouldn't casually hook up with people. There is science behind that. And then we will also discuss some areas of the brain that are involved in the feeling of having a broken heart, like when you quite literally feel like you want to die. And then we'll touch on how to get sober from a broken heart. But first, we are going to do our fun fact of the day while I sip cafe. Did you know there is a neural overlap between experiencing physical and social pain? So what that means is that whether we are physically experiencing pain or we have something like social experiences, like maybe somebody's making fun of you or something like a heartbreak, it can actually activate certain areas of the brain. So certain neural pathways. So to experience physical pain, there is actually a network inside of the brain that can basically be summarized into like two core stages, right? So what happens first is your brain registers the pain, which is known as sensory discriminative section of the brain. And then you have the feeling of pain, right? Which is an effective motivational part of the brain. And so when someone experiences a physical pain, there's activation in a part of the brain called the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex. I know that does not roll off the tongue, but D-A-C-C, as well as the anterior insula. So this is interesting because this is also activated when a person experiences social rejection or exclusion. So think back to like if you were on the playground when you were a kid and you didn't get picked or, um, you know, you you were left out at the school dance or, or what have you. So this actually suggests that when someone describes their heartbreak as like quite literally hurting, there are biological components that can back this theory. Now, before we get into a little bit of the neuroscience, you know that I always love kind of doing a backlog and and going into the history of, you know, who originally studied some of these theories. So before we talk about what actually happens in your brain when you're in love and when you're falling in love, I want to talk about Dr. Helen Fisher. So Dr. Helen Fisher was a biological anthropologist and a human behavior researcher. And so Dr. Fisher actually published this study in 2005 which included the very, very first functional MRI images of the brain of people who were actually like in this mindset of being romantically in love. And so this team of researchers that was led by Dr. Fisher actually looked at about 2,500 brain scans of students who viewed photos of someone that was special to them, but in a romantic capacity, right? So there were like romantic feelings involved. And compare those with scans taken of students who viewed photos of people who were just like acquaintances or homies or friends. And so in the instances where people were shown photos of individuals that they were romantically involved with, the brain showed activity in regions like the caduate nucleus, which is interesting because that is a region of the brain that is associated with reward detection. And then there was another area of the brain that was lit up called the ventral tegmental area, which is associated with pleasure and motivation. So 
you know, when people say things like, I have chemistry with this person, um, it's it's called chemistry for a reason. It, there's quite literally chemicals that are being released and areas of the brain that are being activated. And so this is why we shouldn't actually always trust that so much and why feelings, I don't think, are always uh, as accurate as we think sometimes and why you really need to respect the drug of love, as Matthew Hussey would say, because it is really dangerous um, if used recklessly, right? Because we've all experienced this. And so that's why at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about how to get, quote, sober from the drug of love, if you will. Hey, y'all. I am so excited to announce my six-week health refresh program. This is perfect for anybody who is looking to work with me in a more affordable way in a group setting. So as you know, I really believe that health is a team effort, which is why I actually wanted to make this a group program, because during our six weeks together, we're going to be having live Zoom calls every single week, which we will go over different health topics. We're going to go over what themes we see in the actual group together. Everybody's going to have one individual session with me and then a follow-up 30-minute session. Everybody's going to be getting an individual supplement herbal protocol. They will have access to a Facebook group that is private and exclusive to members in this group. You will have text email support for me, and then you will also receive 10% discount on Brianna approved supplements. So if you are looking to transform your confidence and your relationship around nutrition, health, supplements, or just looking to level up your overall knowledge around these areas, then this is going to be the program for you. So the areas, there are some other areas of the brain um, that, you know, are involved in love that particularly things like dopamine, right, which we know plays a, a really big role in feeling pleasure. But the role of dopamine in our in our system as well activates that reward circuit, right? So which we make this whenever we are experiencing something pleasurable or when we are about to do something pleasurable as well. And that gives us that kind of euphoria, which is also associated with the um, use of like addictive substances like cocaine and alcohol, right? So um, not only does the human brain work to, you know, kind of amplify some of these positive emotions when it experiences when it's experiencing love, but the neural pathways that are responsible for negative emotions like fear can actually be deactivated. So this is why we can kind of like ignore red flags sometimes. And so this is why it's really, like I said, important to understand love as a drug. So you've probably all heard of this idea of, you know, the love hormone oxytocin, right? And so oxytocin develops to help us form and strengthen social bonds and it's produced in the hypothalamus and it's actually produced at its highest levels during the times of really really high happiness right so when we're like initially in love and when we're falling in love but it's also produced in times of social stress so such as separation so this is why we can also sometimes form unhealthy bonds with people because we kind of get addicted to this chemical cocktail, if you will, of oxytocin and dopamine. However, 
in females, it is especially present. Um, you know, we produce it during pregnancy to strengthen the bond between, you know, the mother and the child. But again, we also are releasing dopamine as we are falling in love. And so this is giving us that feeling of pleasure and we're seeking more reward. Serotonin is released. So again, that deals with like mood regulation, happiness. Um, and we're seeing levels of, you know, some of these neurotransmitters and neurohormones high and highly elevated in the brain. And so it's really important to understand this in the sense of if you're not being realistic with yourself when you say things like, yeah, I can just like casually hook up with them or it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal neurochemically speaking because dopamine is actually released when we have orgasms. So this is what results in that intensely pleasurable experience. It's like what makes us wanting more, right? But we also release oxytocin and vasopressin. And so these are neurochemicals that are associated with love bonding and also attachment, which is why it makes it super, super easy to fall in love with someone that you're just, quote, like hooking up with or think that you're being casual with, which is why you also, if you are in like a breakup phase, should not go back and sleep with your partner because you're going to just stir up this chemical cocktail again. And so what happens when we are going through a breakup is that we kind of are losing our regular supply, quote, if you will, of these like neurochemical drugs, right? Like so your your dealer has been cut off. So you're not getting the oxytocin, you're not getting the dopamine, you're not getting the serotonin. And so what happens is this can actually lead to an experience similar to drug addicts when they experience withdrawals. And so this is what makes us kind of feel crazy sometimes when we are going through a breakup. And so Dr. Fisher, again, used some of these fMRIs comparing the brains of individuals who were experiencing a breakup and those experiencing cocaine withdrawals. And what Dr. Fisher found was that not only did both sets of the individuals suffer from neurochemical withdrawals, but they also showed activation of the subcortical reward systems in the forebrain. And I'll talk about why that's important in a second. So literally both areas, the, the areas of the brain, whether it was going through a breakup or going through cocaine withdrawals were showing up on these fMRIs. And so certain areas of the brain, like the ventral stradium, um, there's a region called the nucleus acumens, um, the orbital frontal prefrontal cortex, right? All of these things were kind of lit up. And so the nucleus acumens in particular and the prefrontal cortex, these are two areas of the brain that are strongly correlated with feelings of craving and resistance difficulty. So what that means and, and where the connection is, is that there's this obsessive behavior pattern. So this is maybe when you feel like you need to like stalk your ex on social media or you are compulsively texting somebody. You're like constantly thinking about your partner, replaying scenarios and stories in your brain, right? Um, because it's actually activating those parts of the brain. And so the link between drug addiction and having these like romantic love highlights, this this idea of like how hard breakups and separations from a partner can be for coping. And so Dr. Fisher actually developed this idea about getting sober, right? So in order to actually dissolve this oxytocin enriched neurological love bond, which we have, um, this theory that Dr. Fisher developed was called love sober. And the theory is for at least 30 days, 
you have to lose contact completely with your partner. So this means no calling, no texting, no stalking on social media, no creating fake accounts, and especially Dr. Fisher says no sex with them because this will completely undo progress that was made, especially if you had an orgasm that was released, which is again going to release oxytocin and dopamine levels. Um, you know, so this this is just a, it's a working theory, but something to think about. If you understand the link between heartbreak and physical pain, this should really allow you to kind of shift your mindset and having an approach of almost looking at it as like a broken bone, right? So if you broke your bone, someone wouldn't say to you or you you wouldn't say to yourself like, oh my God, it's been one week. Why isn't my bone fixed yet, right? So we need to really look at it that way because again, having this emotional first aid, if you will, should be taken really seriously because heartbreak is actually a form of grief that can lead to things like insomnia, anxiety, um, you know, mood disorders as, as well. And so it is similar to physical pain. So we need to be kind to ourselves and look at it that way as well. And I like to always kind of touch on this idea of understanding the seven stages of grief, you know, because that is also really important. We know that any part of healing is not linear. We can oscillate between any of these stages, whether it's grief from ending a relationship or maybe a friendship has ended or maybe just a certain chapter of your life. And it's really important, I think, to understand that, again, you can kind of go back and forth between these and it looks like, you know, it's going up and down and two steps forward, one step back. But it's really important to understand it is not always linear. And so when we talk about the seven stages of grief in particular to heartbreak, and again, thinking about this idea of, you know, emotional first aid, taking that a bit more seriously, giving yourself some more grace with that, um, as well as using some, you know, logic and neuroscience to help you feel a little bit better of, of you know, helping you feel like you're not crazy. Um understand that there might be a point where you feel shock and denial, right? So maybe you are in like disbelief and that this is happening to you. Um, You have been fooled by what you thought the relationship was and now it's not. Um, And so you are just like quite literally, you feel like the rug is pulled out from you, right? So shock and denial, you know, I wouldn't underestimate the power of that. Um, And something like practicing you know, impermanence and radical acceptance, maybe I'll do a future episode on that is just really important, right? Like this is this is what it is. And um, I have to accept that fully. Then you can go into another stage also known as, you know, pain and guilt, right? So you again, can have emotional pain, and you can have physical pain. And we know that they actually share some of the same neural circuitry. Then you might go into anger and bargaining, right? So you might be super angry and you might be angry at yourself because you didn't stick to your boundaries. You might be angry at your partner. Um, And then you might, again, go into that bargaining phase where you're like going back and forth and you're trying to con yourself into reasons to go back or to take them back or to stay or settle or whatever it is. Another stage of grief that should not be underplayed is depression. I mean, we we have all experienced this you know, on again, a sliding scale of, you know, there's sadness there. It's breaking routine. It's breaking habit. Um, And so, you know, we have to honor that. And like I said, understand that it is like the drug of love. It's really serious stuff. 
And I don't even just mean when I'm talking about the neuroscience of this, you know, it doesn't have to, like I said, be a, a heartbreak in the sense of a romantic partner. You can have your heart broken for many different things in your life. It can be a job you didn't get. It can be the death of a parent. It can be, um, like I said, an end of a chapter of your life, uh, you know, expectations you put on yourself. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can experience grief and sadness. And so there is neuroscience behind it. And I want people to understand that because so many clients that I work with do not, I think, really take into account how serious this kind of emotional stuff can be and how heavy it is and what it actually does to your body and neurochemistry. So it is important to be kind to yourself and let your go get let yourself go through some of these stages. Um, you know, another stage of grief, which is good, is that upward turn, right? So you feel like you're finally turning a corner. You feel like you are gaining some positive momentum. Um, you know, you're not playing always just the highlight reels. You're looking back and playing the full documentary and kind of accepting some of those realities. And then you can go through the reconstruction and working through and then finally acceptance and hope. And like I said, you might be at stage seven of grief and finally thought that you are accepting things. And then, you know, there's a trigger, which we've talked about already many times with, you know, emotions and the amygdala and how that deals with uh, pairings and associations and you get triggered and then you go back to like step one, right? So it is, like I said, really important, I think, to just understand that you can be in certain stages for longer periods of time and you might have to circle through those a few times as well. I think a lot of the listeners on my show are people who are very analytical in nature and we want to always understand the why and you know I'm also a team root cause person right like let's figure out why I'm feeling what I am and I I do want people to understand that you don't have to understand something fully to be able to accept it and move forward right so you might be experiencing intellectual resistance somewhere, right? So too much analysis can be a bad thing sometimes. Sometimes it's really just not that deep. Sometimes it is simple. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to work through. Um, But you have to understand that you have to surrender at a certain point to try and figure out the neuroscience or the why or the root cause. And like I said, kind of See where you might be doing this in other areas of your life. I see this a lot as well with people who are doing 10,000 things with their health and trying to make 10,000 different protocols. So, you know, again, I know we talked a little bit about the neuroscience of heartbreak um, in, in regards to romantic relationships, but relationships are relationships, whether that's with yourself, with a coworker, with a friend, um, with a colleague. And so, you know, a lot of these these same rules apply when we're working on our emotional first aid and on our emotional health. To wrap up the show, I wanted to add a little botanical breeze section and talk about a couple of different herbs that you can use for healing and self-care no matter what you're going through. And, you know, it might be a little hippy dippy, but again, um, I think rituals are really important and routine, especially when you're trying to create and activate new neural pathways in a time of maybe grief and sadness in your life. So if you've ever been in my apartment or you've ever watched any of my Instagram stories, you know I'm a big fan of using sage, right? So sage and palo santo are two really amazing uh, ritual kind of herbs that can clear out negative energy, right? Um, 
Palo Santo in particular is really great for setting intentions. So, you know, you can sage your house, make a ritual of it, set some intentions that you would like for yourself. But ideally, you want to make sure that you are using common garden sage um, because this is going to help make sure that we're not using an at-risk plant that could be over-harvested in the wild. Number two, rosemary, believe it or not. So rosemary is really, really great. Um, you can actually hang it from your doorway to protect your house from, you know, negative energy. You can also um, use that to make some really nice nutritive teas. It's said to have protective and cleansing properties and has a lot of feminine energy when maybe we, you know, need a little bit more of that. You can also use some really uh, nice herbs like motherwort and hawthorn, which are really great for the emotional heart and the physical heart, as well as roses, right? So we know that roses are really great for calming the nervous system. Um, and you can use like rose water and spray it. It's really good for, um, you know, like I said, just sort of this idea of loving yourself, right? And attracting in love and having some self-compassion, right? That's going to be really important. And chamomile also is one of those really nice calming herbs for friendship, uh, luck, money, healing from, again, kind of this frazzled nerve standpoint. And then, of course, I love lemon balm, right? It's the gladdening herb, very good for if you have some of that anxiousness that maybe is pent up. You can make a ritual bath with lemon balm. You can combine chamomile and lemon balm together to make a really nice tea for supporting the emotional heart, for uplifting the spirits, and for just like getting yourself back to you. So this was a little bit shorter of an episode, but I did want to nerd out a little bit in the beginning and I wanted to add some hippy dippy, you know, botanical brie stuff at the end. And I hope this resonated with who it needed to. And I hope y'all have an amazing rest of the day and I'll chat with you soon. Ciao.